On behalf of Chess, I'd like to welcome you to the March 2016 podcast. I'm Kyle Hogarth from the University of Chicago, editor of the podcast section. Thanks for joining us today for what's going to be another terrific conversation. My first guest is Dr. Mark Matursky, professor of medicine from the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Connecticut School of Medicine in Farmington, Connecticut. He's going to discuss his letter to the editor, quote, is there any reliable clinical evidence to suggest that Axar is more effective than other forms of corticosteroids in treating sarcoidosis and other diseases it is being marketed to treat? Mark, thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. Also on the line with us is Dr. Scott Manneker, Vice Chair of Regulatory Affairs in the Department of Medicine and Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. He's here to discuss his accompanying editorial, Finding Common Ground, Professionalism and Axar Prescribing Practices. Scott, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for the invitation, Kyle. It's always fun to have a conversation with you and create one of these podcasts for the members. <laughs> I appreciate that. Now, of note for, for our listeners, um, the manufacturer of Axar was contacted to write uh, an accompanying editorial uh, to Dr. Matursky's letter as well as Dr. Manneker's editorial, and they declined. They were also invited to be a part of this podcast but never responded to our invitations. Okay, so um, let's get started. Um, Mark, why did you write the letter? Well, I, I saw the advertising for Axar uh, in, in chest, and uh, I'd never heard of it. And so I actually read this advertisement and was quite bemused. Why would anyone want to prescribe uh, ACTH, basically, for sarcoid? It would seem to be clearly something much more expensive than prednisone, and it didn't seem that there would be any uh, rationale that it would be more effective or safer than prednisone uh, or any other oral corticosteroid. So I did a little research. Maybe there was something I didn't know. I wanted to educate myself, and um, basically I found nothing that would would support it being more effective or or, uh, less toxic than oral steroids. I found no studies that would suggest benefit. I found nothing that would suggest even a mechanism uh, that would that would um, be a credible reason why to prescribe this drug over uh, oral corticosteroids. And in my research, I, I found um, that it is an extremely expensive medication, as one would expect. Um, for something like this, uh, it's being sold for for over twenty eight thousand dollars a vial, and a vial is about a month month's worth of therapy. I also found evidence of marketing practices that were, um, in my opinion, uh, quite questionable. And uh, as we all know, um, pharmace- pharmaceutical costs are escalating. Um, there have been certainly some uh, poster. Poster children in the in the news lately, um, with regard to um, uh, unscrupulous uh, pricing. But ironically, at least uh, Mr. Screlly's drug um, for uh, for Toxo, I believe, at 750 a pill, at least it has a use. But um, this drug, as far as I could say, see, had had no benefit. So it really. Um, uh, really uh, made me upset. Um, I'm not generally one to tilt at windmills. I'm fairly apolitical, but um, this got under my, this this really got got under my skin. So I wrote the letter. Um, 
trying to point out to other pulmonologists and, and also to the journal uh, what was going on here. Let me ask you: If you have you have you been? Edward, first of all, does your office see representatives from the pharmaceutical industry? And if so, have you have you been you know quote detailed about Axar? Uh, our office does not um, refuse to see um, pharmaceutical reps, but they uh, they have to undergo uh, they have to go through a pretty uh, taxing gauntlet. So lately, we've not seen too many. So I have not been detailed. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But but you've not you've not um, uh, you've not if you will then encountered anybody who uh, can you know try to answer some of the questions that that you know that you've raised. Correct, and, and of course, um, reps really, in general, are not allowed to answer those types of questions. Um, I did go on the company website and found found nothing. I mean, there's a lot of material there, but none of it would would address these questions. So, Scott, what do you think? And and you know, expand for us. Sure. Uh, in 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 a sentence, uh, I would say I think it's unprofessional for our colleagues to be prescribing Axar for this. Purpose. I want to give full credit to the, the first author and, uh, and co-authors of the editorial, uh, my, my, my and our colleagues, Don Liss and Troy and Brennan. They have uh, interesting and applicable backgrounds. Uh, Don has worked for many years in the insurance industry for a, a variety of national commercial payers and uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield companies. Uh, Troy Brennan, of course, should be well known to the membership from his years of uh, prominent publications in in high-impact journals, uh, an editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, a a leader in the uh, Partners Health System, president of the Board of Internal Medicine, and, and now chief medical officer for Caremark, and an important role in our society of pharmacy benefit management. And I think this is an issue that Mark called our attention to and I think unites us as a society. And I don't mean the American College of Chess Physicians. I mean the society comprising the United States where we have rising health care costs and it's the responsibility and, and duty of of all physicians to be judicious and thoughtful in their prescribing practices. So our editorial um, highlights that there are some very expensive medications that have FDA approvals and no alternative. They are the drug in their particular niche. They're very expensive. And patients, physicians, families, insurers, and American society can make an informed decision and have a rational discussion and, and debate about whether those products products should be appropriately prescribed and for which populations of patients and, and at what time. I think the difference here is those medications, albeit expensive, have an adequate and appropriate evidence base for their use. As Mark highlights, there's very little evidence here. I think sarcoid experts and clinical guideline methodologists 
alike would would unite at, at appreciating the um, uh, modest at best evidence base for the effectiveness of steroids with various forms of sarcoid with treating various forms of of sarcoid but there's very little evidence to no evidence that ACTH works and certainly no evidence that it works any better than far vastly less expensive alternatives such as prednisone and prednisolone or, or, or medrol tablets. So I think for physicians to be uh, considering the prescription of a medication that costs certainly more than $20,000 a month, and I, I saw commercial prices out there uh, up to $35,000 a month for Axar, uh, compared to pennies a pill, or certainly four or ten dollars a month for uh, equal, uh, probably equally effective, if not more effective alternatives. I, I think it's just irresponsible and unprofessional for our colleagues to be prescribing Axar. So, so Scott, one of the things that you also brought up in the editorial, and um, I'll, you know, to kind of put both sides of this discussion. Um, Axar is FDA approved for the treatment of sarcoidosis, so why shouldn't I prescribe it? Uh, because as a, a trained professional and thoughtful reader of the literature and an experienced clinician, you and, and all our colleagues, all, all our members of the society, society and now I am speaking about the American College of Chest Physicians or, or CHEST, are, are informed and uh, there are far less costly alternatives. There's not a, a physician in America, and there's not a member of our society who has not prescribed efficacious, effective medications off-label. Uh, prednisone is just but one example uh, for the treatment of sarcoid. Right, no, I, I think I, it's also... <laughs> If I could jump in, I think it's also important to point out that this drug was FDA approved in the 1950s, and there needed be no need be no evidence of efficacy back when this was approved. All they had to show is that it was safe. Um, yeah. I think that's even debatable because this drug. Um, my guess is that that the the um, uh, the effects of it, the potency of it, are likely much more variable than prednisone. And I can't imagine that it's as easy to dose as prednisone. Um, you, you have issues potentially of absorption because it's subcutaneous. So um, it's probably not a lot less safe than prednisone, but there's the evidence of efficacy was not needed back in the 1950s. And, Kyle, you wanted to play devil's advocate. I'll, I'll even um, offer up that I'm okay with steroid formulations. There's lots of literature about intravenous steroids versus oral steroids being equally effective. And I'll offer up that Axar could, in fact, be equally efficacious to the others. Then it's a, it's a question of conscience. And how in good conscience could someone prescribe a $25,000 treatment when a 5 or $10 treatment was just as good? 
No, I think that's, I mean, that's ultimately actually the point of the letter, right? And I think that's the part of the, the bigger discussion we're talking about. We can, we can already debate whether or not we should be using corticosteroids for sarcoid to begin with, right? That's open for discussion, I think, Correct. to begin with. And then, as you just pointed out, if we even make uh, an assumption, just for the sake of argument, that all forms of, of you know, a corticosteroid, whether it's oral or an injection, et cetera, have equal levels of efficacy for whatever disease, obviously in this case sarcoid, then shouldn't we, aren't we obligated to go with what is essentially the cheapest and probably the easiest option, swallowing a pill? And the option for which there is the most evidence. Um, I personally think that while there's not a lot of evidence that steroids, this may be somewhat off the point, but uh, I, I don't want I don't want uh, this to seem like we're against steroids. I mean, I think we all know that there are cases where steroids are beneficial for sarcoid patients. I, I think where we don't have literature is the, the long-term use of steroids for disease modification. But um, symptom control, I think we all know that steroids have benefits sometimes. But I would never, ever use this drug to, to attain that benefit for all the reasons that Scott has mentioned. At this price, right? I would ask both of you. We wouldn't be having this discussion if Axar were priced $1,000. We certainly would not be having this discussion if Axar were priced $100 a month. $1,000 per month, we we might feel feel the same, but we wouldn't have been having this discussion. It wouldn't have caught such attention compared to $25,000 per month. I agree. Well, and Mark, you also point out the issue um, uh, in regards to uh, prescribing patterns and uh, relationships. So, you know, let's let's go back to you know what, one of the other points that you uh, talk about in your letter and, and uh, cite some evidence for in regards to the prescribing patterns for this this medication. Yeah, I mean, you got to wonder how, how are they selling close to a billion dollars per year of this drug when 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 Scott and I, and we're not the only ones who've noticed this, um, and they're they're using the the um, the techniques that have been shown to work, um, but in this case, um, in in a way that's particularly disturbing. Um, before Malincrot owned this drug, uh, Questcore did, and the majority of people who were re- of physicians who were responsible for the um, the sales of this drug through the, their prescription writing, um, the, the majority of the drugs were written by people who were being paid as consultants or promotional speakers. So, so that shows that when you price a drug so uh, so at such a high price point, you don't need to get many doctors using it to make a lot of money. And, of course, it really begs the question, if, if no one else is using it or very few people are using it other than the doctors who have a relationship with the company, um, it, it's further evidence uh, of, of questionable uh, appropriateness of using this drug. Now, um, let's let's you know to be let's do devil's advocate again. Yeah, but um, so I run a company, you know, whatever company, and um, you know I have I have shareholders and I have a pretty large R and D budget. And at times, also an acquisitions budget, right? I'm going to buy some other small little startup, and all these things take a lot of money. And you know, we are a capitalistic-driven medical society, um, much as people don't necessarily want to admit it. So, 
how you have no right to tell me I can't charge what uh, I want to, and if I can more effectively market it uh, than you know the drug reps for prednisone, <laughs> which there aren't any, obviously, um, you know, then this is how is this anyone's fault? I'm 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 making a profit to run my company, and I'm making that profit to further push R and D forward for the next great thing. And that's a that's a valid argument. Back, so I'll, I'll throw it out there and let you guys. Chew on it. I'll, well, I'll take that one, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. We're not saying you shouldn't charge that amount. We're saying our colleagues and we certainly shouldn't prescribe it, and we shouldn't use your product. And you're you're correct. Um, companies have a right to, uh, in a free market, charge what they want for their products, but consumers, purchasers, should be aware of what the fair price is. I don't think $25,000 a month is a fair price. I think that's doing a disservice to our society. I think that's doing a disservice to the ultimate payers of of healthcare who are us. Us, our employers, uh, our, our the people who pay our benefits packages, those, those costs are just passed on in our insurance premiums. So we're all paying for this indirectly. I think that if Mallinckrodt were to reduce the price to 1000 I certainly still wouldn't prescribe it. If it were 100 or 50 or $10 a month, then, then we could have an informed discussion where reasonable people could say, maybe there's some merit to an injectable rather than once every however, rather than a bunch of pills every day. Maybe there are reasons why patients tolerate XR better than oral alternatives. But we're not there. Scott, let me ask you. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. I would just add I agree. that The company is not doing anything illegal. They're using the same practices that are that are. I would consider entirely appropriate for a drug where there is a, a reasonable cost-benefit ratio. Um, I agree with Scott. It's the responsibility of, of physicians to prescribe responsibly. But I also think, think that this speaks to the um, limitations of, of our um, ability to control these costs. It speaks to the need for more effective um, ways of introducing cost sensitivity into the marketplace, whether it be uh, allowing Medicare um, to, uh, to negotiate prices. Uh, there was a recent article in the Wall Street Journal uh, addressing this. Um, the bottom line is the, uh, the pharmaceutical um, trade group is spending a lot of money lobbying our legislatures, our, our senators and, and uh, House, House members, to prevent this kind of um, more effective uh, consideration of price. Let me ask Scott, one of the questions I wanted to ask when you talked about in your editorial the role of the FDA yeah. um, and that, you know, it doesn't obviously, it doesn't factor into cost. It factors into, you know, products, you know, safety, et cetera. What about something, as, as you know, Mark pointed out, this, this drug was approved in the 1950s uh, where you just simply needed to prove it didn't harm people essentially. Um, is there a role for the FDA to go back and reevaluate? I guess what I call the term I'll use is so-called grandfathered drugs. Is well, there anything? 
That's an interesting question, Kyle. I I I don't know. I I'm not a lawyer by training, and right. I'm no, certainly not. An you're the, but you're the closest to the regulatory world of the three of us, so <laughs> so you win. And I, <laughs> and I honestly don't know whether the FDA has the statutory authority to right. impose modern requirements on grandfathered, previously approved uh, compounds. I, I just don't know the answer to that. I right, know if someone was trying to come out prevented with... from uh, factoring cost into any of their decisions. Right. That part, right, for sure. That, you talk about that in your editorial. But I wonder, you know, if this drug obviously was trying to, if someone had developed this right now and obviously was trying to bring it to market at whatever price, as we all know, there's obviously several hurdles, large trials, et cetera, that would, uh, you know, have to be undertaken in order to determine, you know, efficacy and safety, et cetera, and then, you know, throw it out to the marketplace and, and you know, voila. Um, but, and it just, I'm, I'm, it's my ignorance, and I wondered if you knew, but then maybe our listeners know <laughs> the answer to that. Um, now, can you also, um, I'm curious from the both of you, because I guess this is where, you know, Scott, you talk about, you know, we can, uh, yeah. uh, reasonable people can reasonably disagree. And this comes back to the other issue and some of the, you know, t- you, you use two drug examples, though there's clearly hundreds out there, of things that are definitely cost, you know, there's a definite price. And then it comes back to what do we think we're getting for that price, um, you know, longevity, disease effectiveness, or disease modification, et cetera, and how much is enough to be considered worthwhile. Those seem to be very large-picture discussions, but it's, I just wonder if the two of you could expand on it, because you're clearly trying to, to draw a distinction between not just price, but it's price with debatable efficacy versus, obviously, much cheaper alternatives. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. Um, obviously, we can all sort of... Um, do double takes when we see these expensive drugs, but but the ones that Scott used as his examples, they they have clear benefits. They're game changers for some of these diseases, and and that's a different debate. Um, this one is a to me a more stark uh, example of of, of um, a cost that we cannot bear because there's no evidence of benefit. And and I think. Comparisons in in other countries become useful at, at points in time like this. You mentioned earlier, Kyle, that that uh, the, the company is free to set whatever price it wants, willing buyer, willing seller. Mark highlighted that Mellencrod is not doing anything illegal, but this couldn't happen in many other countries where there are either price controls or price limits or the government does negotiate on a large scale what the price will be, akin to what was suggested in some of the media uh, reports that that Mark was referring to to earlier. Um, there's, There's no question that many of us think steroids are beneficial, and the question then becomes the question of value, benefit per, per cost, per unit cost, and are, are any patients and getting value from Axar as opposed to less costly, equally effective or perhaps more effective alternatives that are out there? And Mark highlights there is a very poor evidence base 
for us to make these decisions on. Now, this this uh, started uh, as Mark described as you know he's flipping through his journal and uh, saw you know I glanced on an advertisement right. So what do we think then? And let's let's broaden our discussion for just our last few minutes here. You know, so we're a professional society, and this is our you know flagship journal. Um, should we be advertising drugs that that you know where do we cut the threshold off? Or is it you know hey advertising again? Let's go right straight back to the capitalistic society. You can advertise whatever you want as long as it follows the general rules. Do you guys have thoughts on that? I think it's a great ethical question. You know, I I, I would love to hear some opinions about this because. One could easily see the two polarized views. On, on the one hand, how can we as a society with our flagship journal be accepting these kinds of advertisings? On, on the other hand, these advertisings support the activities of the journal and the activities right. of the society and bringing all the educational content and benefits that we are able to provide the members. So once again, it becomes a question of informed choice. I, I don't object to looking at their ads. I hear the $25,000 price tag, and I turn the page and move on. I'm not being influenced by their advertising. I, I'm, I'm not sure who, who is being influenced by their advertising as opposed to the other ways they try to influence prescriptions, as Mark was describing, and, and having people on Speakers Bureau and other forms of relationships with people who actively prescribe this product. I guess I see it a little differently. Uh, understanding the difficulties of where you draw the line with adver advertisements that may be um, for, may, that may bring out this issue, um, clearly they're advertising because advertising works. They're not going to spend the money if it didn't work. Um, they're selling approximately a billion dollars worth a year. And if we think this is wrong for physicians to prescribe this drug, and it sounds like we do, isn't our journal and our society in some way uh, complicit if we accept the advertisement? Um, it's a difficult I knew, I knew this would be an interesting discussion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and the word complicit has, you know, it, it has some, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? It, um, uh, it carries meaning. It carries meaning. Yeah, it, it does. It's, um, I, I don't use it lightly. There's a connotation there, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. I will throw um, back, though, that a, that a journal and in a society, obviously, um, there, there is it the ethical responsibility um, to, you know, I can see both sides. I mean, we have to, what, police who we take advertisements from? That being said, we don't advertise cigarettes. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That was the example. Right? I mean, why not? There's we lots of cigarette advertisements out there. We could we could pay for the whole journal with little Marlboro ads. <laughs> As we used to do, right? <laughs> Richard, I'm kidding. I'm back kidding. In the 50s, back in the 50s, right when this when this drug got FDA yeah. approved. Um, well, yeah, that, it's, you know, it's that's a tough a good, question. That's a good comparison, Kyle. You know, in, in the 1950s, we we might have accepted advertising from the tobacco industry because we didn't know, we right. weren't informed. 
And then the 1960s came, and the Surgeon General's report in 1964, and now we know. And now we take an informed and ethical stance not to accept advertisement from the tobacco industry. I would be um, happy and, and proud if our society took that stance with regard to advertising. But before we say, to, to paraphrase Justice Potter, Potter Stewart, we, we, we know it when we see it, we, we need to have a discussion <laughs> of what, what exactly are we policing and, and saying no. If uh, $25,000 a month is, is too much, would we accept their advertising at $10,000 a month, $1,000 a month, $100 a month? Right. Or are we going to... Uh, uniformly not accept advertising for products that exceed a certain cost threshold, even if it's appropriate, simply because it's a cost that our society shouldn't be bearing? How, how are we going to make that decision? I think it, it needs to be really thought through so that we can make an informed decision on what basis, on what grounds are we going to be accepting advertising rather than, you know, looks too expensive for my taste because reasonable people can reasonably disagree. I yeah, I agree. Go ahead. It's a Go difficult, ahead. Uh, where, where to draw the line could be difficult, but I, I would say, I would point out that in the 25 years I think I've been getting the journal and other journals, this has never come up before, at least in my opinion. So, in practice, it might not be that difficult because it may not be that common of an issue. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily that needs to be regulated, right? It just needs to be something that uh, an informed prescribing populace. Well, so, so Mark, if Malin were to come back and say, okay, we're going to drop the price to $1,000 would we take the ad, per month, would we take the ad? They said it were $100 <laughs> a month, would we take the ad? If it were $5 a month, would we take the ad? Yeah, for $5 a month, I would have never given it another time. You know, um, you're right. There are a bunch of hypotheticals where it could become difficult. But practically speaking, in my mind, this one isn't difficult, and it may be another 25 years before a difficult one comes up. Right. Well, we're obviously not going to resolve this particular issue, and thank goodness the three of us don't run the journal. So, uh, you know. <laughs> No decisions will need to be made. <laughs> but um, uh, I, as expected, I think this was, a, I think, a really great conversation, and I'm sure our listeners have got a lot to, to think about and to chew upon. Um, and I think, if nothing else, this uh, definitely the start of a, of a or a continuation, because clearly this this type of discussion goes on for a lot of different drugs, and, and I think even ones where we know there's a, a defined clinical benefit, but everybody debates. Is that extent of benefit worth the amount of money it's costing? And that's a perpetual debate, I think, in this country. <laughs> um, but uh, I can't thank you both enough for your time. I think this was an absolutely great conversation, and I really appreciate it. And, Mark, thanks so much for writing the letter. Thank you so much, Kyle, for inviting me to be part of this. This, this was fun. Kyle, thanks very much for the opportunity. Appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for joining us, both of you.